welcome to this week's Disney Channel Discourse. How are you doing? Doing well? That's good. Not doing well? That's alright too. I, I know I've been going pretty slowly through High School Musical 2 these past few episodes, so I might try to pick up the pace a little bit today, but on the other hand, I might not do that and fail miserably. But once again, we pick up where we left off last week, and we are at the golf scene right after Sharpay requests Troy and Chad to caddy for her and her family. So how this happens is Troy and Chad walk up to the family. I think they have like bags with golf clubs on their shoulders, maybe something, and they meet Sharpay's mom for the first time. And what happens is, I think this was intentional actually, when Sharpay says, Troy, I thought it was time for you to meet my parents, which is very much like, you know, something that people who are romantically involved might say, which Troy and Sharpay are not. I think it was on purpose that that line specifically is in there. And then, of course, Mr. Evans flies down in a helicopter. He's a rich fuck. Definitely a friend of Donald Trump. He comes down talking about, oh, what's the course record? (laughs) Just kidding. I have the record. And also, I built the course. Because he's rich. And we don't like him because of that. I'm editing right now, but there's something else I want to mention. Mr. Evans says he built the course, but what he really means is that he paid other people to build the course, and now he's taking credit for it. Mr. Evans did nothing. All right, back to the show. Then here's here's kind of the first hint, or I guess like one of the only hints, what I was talking about before with how Sharpay and Ryan, their personalities differ, and a lot of it could probably be traced back to their relationship with their parents. Because he sees Sharpay, Mr. Evans does, and kisses her on the head. And then he looks at Ryan and he kind of just says, fix your hat. He like wiggles the hat a bit and, you know, kind of makes it straighter. And for any of you, so if you're not as familiar with what golf represents in terms of its relationship to wealth, uh, golf is historically and actually still today an elitist game. And just look at it this way. Look at it this way. Golf takes up so much room and if we wanted to build shelters for the homeless golf courses is pretty much the ideal place to do it but we don't because the richest people decided they need a sport that takes up a lot of room that only they can play and anybody who's not rich who likes to play golf and i'm sure those people exist in fact i know they definitely do exist don't really change much because they're just participating in a game for the rich instead of going against it So the fact that Troy says like, oh yeah, I was also on the golf team. Basketball and golf is kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I play golf too. Like in the back of my head, like, oh, it would kind of be nice to be an oligarch. And then they start golfing, right? And the mom is really bad at golf. She just kind of, you know, swings and, you know, hits the ball badly. And there's a brilliant, brilliant. It's kind of a theme with this family that even when they, you know, have terrible golf shots or when Ryan overshoots the, the putt, if that's the proper terminology for it. I really don't care. And he says, like, backboard, and the mom, like, stops it with her her foot and kind of taps it in. And they're like, yes, we did it. Because this family is so rich, like, it doesn't matter if they mess up. It's just their life doesn't change. It's, It's constant success for them, constant success in the real world or in golf. And I like also how they don't shove it down our throats. That it's like, oh, yeah, we're rich. It's Because, like, one example of this is, like, Right near the beginning when we're first introduced to the dad and he's talking to his wife and they're going back and forth like, is that a new outfit? Oh, yes, I got it just this morning. And he's like, this old thing? Oh, I got it last week. And it's not like front and center. Like if this was in 
a Disney Channel show, that would probably be like the main thing going on, and then the laugh track after that, right? Like like something London Tipton would say, like ha 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 ha. But this is that's kind of just like kind of background noise, which I think is a really good choice. And then Troy now, since he knows some stuff about golf and techniques and stuff, Mr. Evans is asking him for his advice, and he's talking about like golf words like downhill, liberty, green, elevated, full five. And he's like, go with this club. And Mr. Evans does it. And I guess, it's, I guess it's a success because it's like, wow, you know about golf. Then Sharpay at one point, like deliberately tries to hit Chad with a golf ball. Like, and it's not even that like within the frame of the movie, it could be described as an accident. Like she's in putting range and Chad is standing way off to the side and she just drills it towards him. It's ridiculous. There was this great shot though of the those four Evans family members, you might know what I'm talking about, all standing on the cliff and kind of hitting their balls one after the other. And then as they're walking off, Troy and Chad come in and look all confused, which I don't understand what's actually going on in that scene in terms of like, what, what are Troy and Chad confused about? Are they just behind everyone else? I don't get it, but it looks nice. It looks nice at least. And then Troy, who happens to be running kind of by the edge of the pool, not the edge of the pool, but like the outside fence of the pool, I guess the golf course kind of goes by there at some point. So he sees Gabriella on her, her lifeguard shift and he gets her attention from the outside. Like, Gabriella, dinner tonight, sneak a swim. And she nods right before Sharpay can come out of nowhere and yank Troy back into her golf cart and they drive off. So now Sharpay, who's, you know, you haven't forgotten her big plan here is to just kind of get Troy and her dad to be all, you know, buddy-buddy, so that her dad can kind of just hand Troy a scholarship, and then Troy will be grateful to her, I guess. That's still the plan, so eventually is like, why don't you let Troy try to take one of these golf shots? And he's like, oh, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, but they kind of half force him to, and he's he, he does it well. And they're like, wow, beautiful, amazing, beautiful. They say the word beautiful like three times in the span of five seconds. And now, after just one great golf shot, one instance of Troy demonstrating, look how good I am at being rich, all of a sudden, Troy now has a spot, like a permanent spot in Sharpay's golf cart, and Ryan gets left behind, dragging his own golf bag, kind of getting excommunicated from the bourgeoisie community, which is something we will see definitely actually take place very soon. And this is kind of setting the blueprint for that. Now Sharpay brings up the topic of college. About, oh yeah, U of A, yeah. We'd be very interested in Troy Bolton. And that's kind of where it ends with like Chad shaking his head at Sharpay being like, I understand what you're doing. And then we cut to like the, um, I guess afterward. Yeah, right afterward pretty much. When Chad and Troy back in the kitchen and Chad is soaking his feet and the two of them are icing themselves. Uh, I understand Chad since he was, you know, kind of brutalized by golf balls. But Troy didn't, what, he just, I don't know, carried golf clubs all day? You know, they, they were doing the heavy lifting and the brunt of the work for rich people. Yeah, we, so, like, we know golf represents wealth and power. But here we see the Evans family letting Troy play, which is the first of multiple instances in the movie of them extending their their wealth privileges isn't really the right word because a privilege is kind of something that can be taken away when you're in the ruling class that can't just be taken away 
So like like the abilities they have because of their wealth, they extend those to Troy, while Chad is left in the dust. And we also have to acknowledge white privilege when it comes to Troy being propped up and Chad being left behind. Let, let's not pretend that subtext and that commentary isn't there. It's there. And Mr. Fulton comes in, you know, this is a kitchen, not a day spa. And Mr. Fulton gives Troy a suit and tie. And I, I love this. I love this line so much. Where it says, if you're not familiar with this item, holding the tie, it goes around your neck like a dog collar. That's so poignant. I love that line so much. Such good writing. Such good delivery. Also, Mark L. Taylor. And Mr. Fulton takes Troy into the dining hall where the Evans family has, has invited Troy to come sit with them. And Mr. Evans is telling this story that we just hear the end of where he goes, and she stepped on the ball. And Mrs. Evans goes, I did not. And he goes, yes, you did. And the whole table is just laughing, laughing their asses off. Rich Fox having a great time, just a great time. And Mr. Fulton brings Troy over to them. And he sits at the empty seat, which just so happens to be next to Sharpay. And Ryan is sitting away-ish from them at the same table, though. And he's just not caring, uninterested, and is wearing a baseball cap. And so the Evans family has this other rich friend named Peter. And Peter is like, amazing final game, Troy. And Troy's trying to be all humble, especially while like Chad and Jason are coming to the table to, to serve them. And he's like, well, my, my teammates here stole the ball which is actually like not what happened at all if you go to watch the end of high school musical troy intercepted a pass and then like they passed it around for a couple seconds and then he scored it would have been like he could have said something that's actually true like oh couldn't have done it without you know my teammates or something but it's okay he he panicked he panicked so i forgive him whatever sharpay is like oh stop being so humble like you can brag it's okay you were mvp I wonder what the odds are that Sharpay just learned what MVP meant that day. But anyway, Kelsey is, you know, playing the piano on the stage. Mood music, of course. And she's yawning. Like, what's up with this, this subplot of Kelsey not liking to play vibey music? I don't really like it. And Peter and, and Mr. Evans are talking to Troy like, you know, over at U of A, we pull a lot of weight. Implying that if Troy wanted to get in, they could definitely just get him in. But Troy's really uncomfortable about it. He gets uncomfortable. And rightly so. And he kind of just changes the topic like, oh, you know, oh, time flies, but I, I should be clocking out now. And Mr. Evans is like, no, 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 we got to have dessert. We got to talk about golf. And Sharpay is like, oh, golf, basketball, that's not it. Have, you know, Troy's a great singer too. And Mrs. Evans was, wow, he can be in the, in the talent show. And they try to get him to sing like on the spot. Sharpay is like, Kelsey, we're going to sing like right now. I don't know what they would sing. They haven't practiced anything. But he says, like, my voice is hoarse. So maybe another time. And Sharpay manipulates him into promising that he'll sing with her some other time. And I choose the word manipulates very specifically. Because let's not act like Troy had a, an uninfluenced choice here. When Sharpay says, you will sing, though, with me. Promise? Especially that, you know, promise? Because the only way out of that is to say either yes, I promise, and it's a 100% commitment, or no, I promise that I won't sing with you in front of her whole family who are all staring at you like, oh, are you going to do it? You're not going to let her down, are you, in front of us? In front of these people who can get you to college, you're not going to be a douche, are you? And so he promises. And he doesn't even promise to sing with her at the talent show. He just promises to sing with her some other time. So there is more manipulation coming up of this variety. I love in this scene how they constantly flash to Ryan. 
who's not having a good time and not fitting in with these bougie fuckers and not being a fan at all of Sharpay's maniacal manipulation tactics. I like that they const- that they keep the audience reminded that he's there and that he's not into it. So now we have a great little moment where Troy walks back into the kitchen and then screams super loudly, extremely relatable for many people. And he runs up to Gabriella, who's by the pool, you know, folding towels or something. And he says, I'm so sorry I'm late. Give me two minutes. I'll be right back out. She's like, yeah, it's fine. Then Taylor walks in and Taylor starts talking to, to Gabriella about boy disease, which is something I can confirm does exist. Toxic masculinity is another way to put it, but I like boy disease a little bit better, actually. And Taylor tells us about her sister and her sister's 10 boy rules and about how all dates are official. I thought kind of for a while that this scene reeks of, oh, we got to give Taylor something to do because let's be honest, overall in the trilogy, she's quite underutilized for how good of a character she is. They give her the short end of the stick a lot in the first movie in terms of how she acts and in the second and third movie in terms of that they really don't give her that much to do. But I really don't think so. I think this is more of Taylor, since she is so smart, being able to kind of see the early warning signs of like, oh yeah, Troy, you know, he starts flaking out on these minor commitments. And then before you know it, you're going to be singing Gotta Go My Own Way and running off after giving him your necklace back. But Gabrielle is a little bit too naive to see it. And now, all right, it's time for the bonus scene. The bonus scene that was not aired on the Disney Channel, the bonus scene that was only available on the DVD version, and the bonus version that they so thankfully included on Disney+, and that since a lot of people who are High School Musical fans didn't have access to the DVD versions and only ever watched it when it aired on TV, I assume multiple, multiple times it aired on TV, they had never even seen this scene until like a year ago, which is ridiculous, and I can't even imagine the this discovery and people being like, I don't remember this. Was this part of the movie? And this is when Troy, you know, runs back in to the kitchen to clock out with his card. And Mr. Fulton sees him and says, you're not done. And Troy's like, Oh, come on. I got a, I've got a date. And Mr. Fulton says another gem line. So many, he actually has a bunch coming up in the span of like the next minute. And it starts with, you're under the mistaken impression. I'm interested in what you have to say. No more speaking. So this, of course, is leading into the second stop on Sharpay and Ryan's cultural appropriation tour. Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apua'a. Is this song bad? The answer is yes. This song is incredibly bad. But I think it's okay because it's intentionally awful. Like, I can imagine they bring the full movie to Disney Channel like, all right, it's ready to air. And and whoever, whichever executive is like, oh, it's all great, except uh, we're cutting out the fish song. It's a little too weird. And it probably did lead to confusion a little bit later on when Ryan's talking to Sharpay and, and he says, what about Huma Humu? And she goes, change of plans. Like, what? Huma? What's that? But Troy follows Mr. Fulton, who's leading him down some, like, dark hall with a flashlight. And I don't know where they are. I'm so confused in this movie about where things are taking place. Because for a long time, I thought this was, like, some underground basement situation. But now I can tell that it's out outdoors, and I don't. Is this like the the same stage they performed the the Midsummer Night's Talent Show on? 
Is this in a dining hall where you were the music and me was, but just different lighting and different camera angle? I don't know. I'm so confused by where things are happening. And Troy doesn't know either where they are. And Mr. Fulton is kind of holding his shoulder while they're walking. And he says, watch your step insurance issues, which is incredibly funny by itself. And Troy once again says, I have a date. And Mr. Fulton says, the evening is young and so are you. I can't help but think that jokes like this were wasted on kids. This is a very Phineas and Ferb style of humor that gets better as you get older in terms of like, you know, Dr. Doofenshmirtz having these like petty adult problems and it being more relatable to people that aren't, you know, nine years old. And Mr. Fulton is very similar in that sense, talking about things like insurance issues and the evening is young and so are you. I would have loved a Mr. Fulton spinoff of this show. They could call it Lava Springs. Anyway, uh, Mr. Fulton ditches Troy and disappears, just disappears, evaporates, after shoving him into that rock chair, causing Troy to explode into, what the heck? Which is incredibly Disney sounding. Like, okay, I know obviously it's a decom and you're not going to swear. We know that. But it's so obvious here that you meant to say, what the fuck? And you just weren't allowed to. It's just painfully clear. Cue the music. As it starts, Ryan appears out of nowhere, waving a fire stick around. Is this the scene where Ryan confesses his feelings for Troy? Alas, it isn't so. But of course, Lucas Grabeel delivers a fantastic vocal performance. Not at all out of the ordinary for him. I feel like Lucas is just the right amount aware of the fact that this song... And the lyrics, especially, like, sweet as a peach and a pineapple way, but so sad that she hardly speaky, are a total joke. It, co- it comes across in the dancing and his facial expressions, too. He just, I feel like he's overacting just for the hell of it. Ashley, meanwhile, was in a tough spot. Because it's similar in some ways to the spot Vanessa was in for When There Was Me and You. Because with Ashley in Humuhumu, her character is supposed to be treating this like it's an extremely serious performance. But if she does that, then, like, the joke is kind of gone. So she was stuck in the middle where it's impossible for her to deliver the appropriate performance. Because if she takes it too seriously, it's like, well, this isn't funny. And if she treats it too much like a joke, then it's like, well, aren't you supposed to be taking this seriously? So for the person who's probably the second best singer in the cast after Lucas, Humuhumu is uh, quite certainly her worst singing performance. And Sharpay comes out from behind the fake volcano wearing, a, wearing a, a pineapple hat. I know this family is rich, so they can afford this shit, but it really does feel like spending for the sake of spending. Anyway, she says, Aloha, everybody. My name is Tiki. I long to free a truly remarkable fish, my sweet prince have you ever seen a truly remarkable fish? I'm not sure I have. I'm not sure if they even exist. So here comes the chorus. I translated a while back of uh, these words from Hawaiian into English with some help from Google Translate. And I now know what they mean. I knew this one. It is a kind of fish. Possibly a truly remarkable fish. I don't know. Makahiki is apparently an ancient... Hawaiian New Year Festival. Malahini is what you would call a newcomer to Hawaii. Or maybe a a visitor or something. Hawana means how are you doing. It would also appear that waka is a kind of boat. 
And as far as I can tell, Poo 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 is not even Hawaiian. Also, uh, Niki, I don't think that's Hawaiian either. I don't know where that comes from. So, Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apua'a, Makahiki Malahini Hu. Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apua'a, Ooh, Hawana Waka 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 Niki Poo Poo Poo. So basically, this is saying Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apua'a, Ancient Hawaiian New Year Festival, Newcomer to Hawaii Who. Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apua'a, Ooh, How are you doing, Boat 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 Niki Poo Poo Poo? So it is nonsense. These aren't coherent Hawaiian sentences. This is just things that sound Hawaiian slapped together. Also, I realized um, I've been calling, like, Bob to the Top and Humu Humu, uh, their cultural appropriation tour. I should definitely, I don't know why I forgot to do this, but it wasn't me who actually called them that first. It was uh, Hannah Howard of Teen Vogue in 2016 when I was doing research for my <clears throat> high school musical song ranking project that I saw those terms used for the to describe these songs. And I thought they were great, so I've just kind of been using them mindlessly. And, uh, well... <sighs> Yeah, I never claimed these movies were perfect, first of all, and it isn't clear who wrote this song in the cinematic universe, although I am quite confident it was not Kelsey. I can tell you, in real life, this was a collaboration of four High School Musical songwriters, Matthew Gerard, Robbie Neville, David Lawrence, and Faye Greenberg, but in this universe, did Sharpay write it? Would not surprise me, and it would give me another solid refutation to those who claim Sharpay is actually infallible. So, uh, yeah, the fact that this is basically a, a, a fusion between Hawaiian and gibberish does not make me feel any better about enjoying it a little bit, but maybe I can convince myself that these writers are simply showing us that Sharpay is insensitive to other cultures. We are simply being shown yet another problematic aspect of her personality. Either way, okay, I put now far more focus on Ryan's experience and role in the song than I used to because this was quite possibly the perfect breaking point for him as a character the the, the ideal gateway for him to finally get his own storyline like a storyline free and separate from Sharpay somewhat that he was robbed of in musical one he puts on that stupid fish hood he jumps around going ooh ah and he's sick of it He's sick of being Sharpay's puppet, sick of hop swimming about the area, while the far less talented Sharpay props herself up on a fake surfboard, singing just a touch behind the beat, you know, sick of getting getting bossed around, you know, Ryan, the fog, all that stuff. She dreams of a boy who is under a spell that has left him all wet and scaly. I sing from my heart with the power of love, just a girl with a ukulele. If it wasn't, if it weren't clear enough already, this song serves mainly for comedy, so lines like these are not just forgivable, like encouraged, kind of. Even as a six-year-old, I could understand that this song was not meant to be taken seriously, partly because of the outrageous-sounding title. I was like, that's not English, ha ha ha, must be funny then. Partly because of stupid lyrics like this appearing all throughout the song. And then, of course, you know, this, this thing that we see a lot of in musical, someone who's playing a usually it's a guitar playing a guitar, and then like Ross Lynch does this in Cruising for a Bruising, he's playing a guitar and he kind of just throws it forward off screen. We assume someone catches it, but in the context of the universe, it just looks like he throws the guitar off in the distance and it just kind of disappears. And Ryan does this with a ukulele after it's like, "Girl with a ukulele." Ta-da! 
and they throw the ukulele off to the left, and it's just gone forever. I'll grasp your tail and stroke each tender gill, my sweet prince. There's a very brief moment here where Troy actually chuckles at this point. Like He's a little bit too nice to get up and leave in the midst of this shit show, and he quite clearly doesn't want to be there. But he's being entertained to some degree, just like we are. For the second chorus, Ryan and Sharpay and her three friends, Emma Jackie east of me, actually partake in a, a coherent choreography of some sort, uh, albeit one that doesn't even allow for Ryan to show his face. Quite the poignant representation of his very existence in these movies up to this point, wouldn't you say? Sharpay's friends run around Troy's chair. One of them like really starts feeling him up a bit. And Sharpay says, this is where we lean into the whole kabuki thing. Now, I also learned, after doing a bit of research, that kabuki is a traditionally Japanese form of theater. And Japan and Hawaii are not at all the same. I have to keep reminding myself that the punchline is Sharpay's ignorance. The punchline is Sharpay's ignorance. The punchline is Sharpay's ignorance. At least that's what I kind of had been doing. But I'm not really going to pull my punches anymore, all right? I'm not going to defend this aspect of the movie because this is very obviously showing no regard or no appreciation for Hawaiian culture or Japanese culture this is meant to be taken as a big joke and the fact that they just incorporate words from whatever languages they want that sound vaguely Hawaiian even if it's not a Hawaiian word shows that they, they don't care they don't really care and even if they were thinking hard like oh yeah we'll show Sharpay as like this culturally insensitive person that maybe would have worked better if Ryan or someone told her like you know Kabuki's not even Hawaiian bitch but they don't do that and you can't honestly expect an audience of children or an audience of any age to see that and be like oh yeah I know most of that was Hawaiian nonsense and some of it was not even Hawaiian at all you have to understand the impact that you're actually making. And the impact that you're actually making is that these are nothing more than funny words that we can put into a joke song. But ultimately, this uh, this bridge is where the kabuki stuff comes in, as Sharpay says, serves primarily to highlight even further the imbalance of power between Sharpay and Ryan. Ryan f- runs frantically around with a blue tarp, uh, pretending like it's an ocean. He makes the wind go whoosh, makes the thunder clap, and then he spits because apparently he's also playing the role of Mighty Mount Fufu, and he just just, just hucks some saliva into the abyss, and then he has to rap too. Tatatiki tatiki, wanna speaky 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 with the mighty spirit Fufu. Meanwhile, Sharpay's friends, who I refuse to call the Sharpets, I'll instead call them Emma Jackie Leah East of me are dragging Troy's chair around somewhere. And he's all, whoa, where are we going? Sharpay's jumping on one foot. Ryan is trying to be like a cool DJ, like wiki wiki stuff. Oliver Roken vibes coming from him. His absolute whitest moment. And Sharpay slides into real fish talk, no lie. And this is the part of the song where most people wouldn't be able to take it anymore. It can honestly be, even for me, pretty unbearable to listen to this, all that stuff. And Ryan gargles water into a microphone. Like, we are teetering very, very close, frighteningly close, to the edge of avant-garde here. This is nearing crisis level, and I kind of hate it. But then the fish turns into a gorgeous prince and sings, and we're back. Sharpay hands a lyric sheet to Troy out of somewhere, gives him a flower necklace, and whips out the deep voice. I I gotta 
I'll hand it to Ashley here. That 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 um that deep man voice is actually pretty funny. It's either that or I'm just really happy that the fish talk section is over. That anything will sound good in comparison. I'm Prince Humahuma Nuka Nuka Apua. Right. And meanwhile, Ryan bursts through the friends, Emma Jackalia east of me, and removes his fish costume and dabs by accident and reveals himself to be the gorgeous prince. All the manual labor was worth it. Now you get a moment in the spotlight, right? Nope. Sorry, not even another slightly incestuous innuendo like the one we got in What I've Been Looking For. Ryan, your sister wants to replace you with someone who is less talented, but is arguably better looking, and also not her brother. So at least just for that in a, in a vacuum, I can't really blame her. And while the last chorus is going on, Ryan's kind of, you know, gesturing with Emma Jackalia east of me. Like, wasn't that supposed to be me who's the prince? And one of their friends very clearly mouths, sorry, time for a key change. They all walk around Troy, all five of them. And Ryan is pissed as shit. And he isn't good at showing it, but he is pissed. And he's trying to let everyone know. You you can't hear the, the pissed on the soundtrack. You can only see it in the movie. And maybe it's just because we've suffered through the dreadful bridge but the final chorus is somewhat somehow musically satisfying so but it's a it's a bit more fleshed out a couple decent harmonies still retaining that uh that this is not meant to be taken seriously in any regard sort of charm and troy is paralyzed by fear just before sharpay places a crown on his head man can you can you imagine what he's going through right now like he's got a date and his boss drags him into this cave. And now he's been crowned the king of the ocean, I guess. And Ryan is mad at Troy for some reason when the song finishes. Like, super exaggerated, frowny face. But Troy didn't want this, Ryan. He didn't want this. So if this song is a success, it was for one reason only. And it's that it's a little funny in some spots. And because it really drilled home for audiences that might not have been as receptive that Ryan is unhappy with his current circumstance and Sharpay runs to Troy what do you think what do you think have you ever just tried singing without the lights and shit just for fun with your friends and Sharpay's like wow what a brilliant idea it's perfect and she's trying to make her kind of make her move like just you and me Troy in the talent show it can be our thing and Troy's like nope time out uh not our thing I gotta go and Troy gets out of the conversation by distracting her by talking about her shoes then she kind of just runs away now here is one of the scenes where I really don't like the way Troy is acting. I'm not saying like Zac Efron's acting. Like I actually don't like what Troy does, what his character does. I think it's like, hmm, that's kind of a, a stupid thing to do. And keep in mind that without the um, the bonus scene, so a lot of people, if you're watching this on Disney Channel in 2007, what you see is Troy run out to Gabriella, like, I'm sorry, I'll be back in a minute. And Taylor is like, boy disease, boy disease. And Troy runs in and changes his clothes and then runs back out to Gabriella and cannonballs into the pool. That's what you see. We don't see the Huma Huma stuff in between. I don't like how Troy, though, cannonballs into this pool. And when Gabriella is like, we can't be in the pool, it's against the rules, we might get caught. Instead of being like, yeah, you're right. And they get out and just go chill out somewhere else. He pretends, as a joke, to have a cramp to get Gabriella to dive in. And obviously, they get in trouble when Mr. Fulton finds them on their fourth almost kiss of the movie in the pool. Why couldn't you have just stayed outside the pool? You did not have to go in there. But Troy's like, it's finally starting to feel like summer. And that's, boom, that's when Mr. Fulton shows up. It does kind of mean something. 
in the sense that Troy's, you know, after being pampered by the Evans all day, he's kind of already starting to let the influence get to his head. The um, invincibility kind of, he feels kind of invincible. He's like, oh, rules, those aren't for me. Dumb rules. I can go into the pool. But then he just drags Gabrielle into it, which he should have definitely been more conscientious of. And Mr. Fulton says, two strikes for Gabriella. Don't get a third. Out of the pool. And then we cut to probably not long later, because it's still kind of that night. And Troy and his dad are bonding by working on a car and mad stuff. And he's telling him, like, Chad and Jason were serving me while Sharpay's parents were talking to me about scholarships and shit. And the dad is like, well, they're getting paid. You were invited. And Troy's like, yeah, I know. But it felt weird. Damn right, Troy. It did feel weird, didn't it? Listen to that intuition. Dad basically says, oh, the team, the Wildcats, you know, Chad, Jason, Zeke. That's for now. But there's nothing wrong with thinking about what comes next. And he also says something like, he says, never be ashamed of attention as long as you've earned it. A scholarship is special. Which is very simplistic thinking on the dad's part. It's very surface level stuff. It's very white, upper middle class, liberal thinking. To be like, they're getting paid. You were invited. Don't be ashamed of attention if you've earned it. I feel like if I, I could think about this scene more because there's other stuff that frustrates me about the way the dad acts that I haven't really put in the time to dissect and really think about yet. But I could. I could. I know maybe before my extreme multi-part High School Musical analysis podcasting series might have been a good time to dive into it, but I haven't yet. Please forgive me. But then Troy's dad gives Troy the keys to the old truck to take for a spin, getting more stuff handed to him, like, oh, I'll just have this truck. Next day, Troy comes into work. Gabriella's teaching this, like, this swim aerobics class or something from outside the pool. She's like, high knees, everyone, jumping jacks. And all the people in the pool are just following along. And when Troy comes by, walks by, says, hey, water bug, Gabriella just stops and talks to her. And everyone else in the pool just keeps going, not at all insulted that they're teenage instructor just kind of quit on them in the middle to talk to her boyfriend and they're talking like oh yeah my lunch break's 1 30 great i'll see you then we'll hang out at lunch and sharpay is yelling at troy with a sign through the window and the sign is all glittery says see fulton now and so troy kind of just runs into work right to go clock in that's pretty much right when taylor walks by with the kids in the kids club and they start doing the pool exercises, like following along to Gabriella, standing right next to the pool, like just doing jumping jacks, which seems like something that's very dangerous. Like they're saying like, no running by the pool, because you could slip and fall in. I feel like j jumping jacks would kind of be in a similar category to running there, but I'm not a lifeguard. Who am I to say? And then uh, we have a pretty, a pretty stupid line uh, that's like genuinely dumb, where Taylor's like, what's she up to? And Gabriella says, who knows? And Taylor says, believe me, she does. Of course she knows what she's up. Everyone knows what they're up to, generally speaking. So Troy clocks in. And apparently he's late for some reason, which is a plot device that's extremely unnecessary. No, maybe not. Maybe it's not unnecessary. Because maybe it's showing that the promotion he's about to get is actually not earned at all. Because this is not a meritocracy. Comes in, he's like, I'm sorry I'm late, Mr. Fulton. What about the pool thing? Please don't blame Gabrielle. And Mr. Fulton cuts him off, says, I'm promoting you. He's promoting Troy to assistant golf pro salary job $500 a week plus tips no clocking in etc and Troy's all excited about this right that's off the hook but here's the thing 
Troy doesn't think he's qualified to teach golf to kids. And I love the way Mr. Fulton, everything he's in is golden. He's like, worry not. I can't deliver the line the same way he does it all. That obviously sounded nothing like what Mr. Fulton actually sounds like. He's just like, worry not. He explains to Troy, just teach the little angels which side the golf club to hold and then duck. He also, Troy, gets membership privileges now. The board extended privileges to him. And as we know, the board is Sharpay's parents, basically. But Mr. Fulton does explain, like, but do so prudently. Don't abuse these privileges, which basically means other wildcats, they don't get to use your new privileges, which is basically like he gets his own fancy locker in the locker room. And he also gets these instructions about like what clothes to wear when, what you don't wear with what, brown, blue, black, stripes, pins, I don't know, all these things. And he also gets gets his very own golf cart, which is number 14, which is his basketball number. And Troy asks, how did this happen? This is the moment. This is the moment where things officially take the turn. And because most people looking at this look look at this within a capitalist framework, which is how most people look at everything in life, at least in the United States and Canada. And they say, well, Troy, what did he do wrong? He got offered a promotion. Whether he earned it or not, what's he supposed to do? Like Say no to it? The point is that the construction of the system that we're living in that makes it possible for that to happen and for Troy to feel kind of icky about it because he didn't deserve it and for everyone else to feel icky about it that he got something that he doesn't deserve. None of that is good. None of that is part of a system that should remain. And this is the moment where Troy really takes that turn, where Mr. Fulton tells him, it would seem that the Evans family thinks you have untapped potential. Young man, the future is full of uncharted waters, and this family has real clout. So I suggest you take the ride. And Mr. Fulton walks off, and Troy's looking at his new shoes, his new golf shoes, his Italian golf shoes, his fancy new shoes that are way fancier and more expensive than any pair of shoes needs to be. And he looks at them and says, Huh, they're Italian. And it's his first day now as the assistant golf pro. There's this kid who's throwing golf balls, picking them up and throwing them. There's this kid who's holding the golf club upside down, which is just using the same joke twice. And then there's this one kid who's just like hitting the ground with his club. Troy says, good job, killer. Make the ball fear you. I'd like to imagine that Troy introduced himself to all these kids in like a circle at the beginning of the lesson. And he was like, all right, I'm Troy. Tell me all your names. And this kid is like, oh, my name is Todd, but you can call me Killer. So now that's why Troy's calling him Killer. But now Sharpay has an appointment with Troy for for golf lessons, and she brought her own pink balls. I thought Troy's job was just teaching golf to kids, but I guess also anyone can just book an appointment with him. And also, it kind of looked like this was a scheduled thing of like, oh yeah, from, I don't know, 11 to 12 is the kids' golf lessons, and Troy can't just ditch in the middle for another appointment. But who am I to say? Who am I to say? I don't know. And so obviously, uh, this was what Sharpay was talking about when she had that big poster that said, See Fulton now! It was about his promotion. And obviously, this was Sharpay who kind of pushed her parents in this direction, like, Oh yeah, you should promote Troy to assistant golf pro. Now that's done, Sharpay can, you know, get this special win-in-one time, talking about the talent show. 
And she's like, we'll find something great to do together. And Troy is kind of, you know, like, um, no, I won't do that. I've decided not to sing in the talent show with you. But he doesn't really say that. He just kind of starts saying, like, oh, I don't know. And Sharpay is like, well, the Red Hawk boosters will be there, which is the, the U of A Red Hawks, which means that it will basically guarantee your scholarship because they know how good you are at those sports. And to show your versatility in singing great on stage with me guarantees scholarship. And Troy, of course, doesn't feel right to him. And I'm talking a lot, actually, about how these things that we're looking at at face value and being like, Troy, this is obviously the smart thing to do in a capitalist framework. So why aren't you doing them? I don't know if, if you've studied the work of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, but there is a lot of evidence that this kind of constant pursuit of money that encompasses our entire lives and becomes our primal concern from basically the time we're uh, these kids are 16 up until the end of their life is really bad for you and really bad for your health of all kinds. So it does make sense. And it is a concern that Troy and so many other people who experience this type of thing where it's like, well, I'm getting things that I thought I wanted that are helping me advance, but I don't feel good about it. And Troy tries to tell Sharpay, like, singing isn't a part of my job. And Sharpay says, but you promised. It's so manipulative. Here's what I was talking about before with how first she manipulates him into promising to sing with her. And now when she just by herself is like the talent show, we'll sing at the talent show. And Troy's like, ah, uh, no. And she's like, but you promised. Troy promised to sing with you at some point. And now you're framing it. So it's like you promised to sing at the talent show. And that's not what he did. That's not what he did. But she manipulated him into thinking that that's what she did. And then she changed the subject to like, Oh, by the way, great shoes. Oh, they're Italian. Oh, wow, look, you're rich just like me now. Isn't that so fancy? And so Troy starts actually teaching her golf. Like, oh, let me show you how this is done. And he teaches her the golf swing, you know. And meanwhile, Gabrielle and Chad and Taylor start kind of, they start watching from a distance. And Chad and Gabriella are like, oh, yeah, he'll be fine. And Taylor's like, you know, I did hear them talking about his new Italian golf shoes. These Italian shoes, if you haven't picked up on it already, just like golf, another symbol of wealth. I'm not too up on the fashion stuff, but it would appear that Italy has some of the best quality shoes in the world. So Taylor, who's really caught on to everything since the beginning and can tell what's going on, tells Gabriella she's basically offering him a college education just to sing with her in the talent show. So Chad and Gabriella, they both head off back to work and Taylor watches for another second. Meanwhile, Troy kind of runs off after this 45-second lesson because someone shows up and says, Fulton wants you in the lobby, Troy. And so he leaves Sharpay alone for a minute, and Taylor sees Sharpay, you know, hit the ball very far, which is supposed to be something that kids can pick up on. Like, wow, she didn't actually need golf lessons, and she only did it to hang out with Troy a little bit? Wow, that's so sleazy. And now, all right, okay, here we get exhibit number 5,000 in why rich white men need to shut up. Because Mr. Evans is talking to these three U of A Red Hawk players, and he's telling them, and she steps on the ball, which is the punchline of the story that he just can't stop talking about because it's just the most brilliant thing, and everybody wants to hear what Mr. Evans has to say. And so those Red Hawk players who are there with Mr. Evans, they're inviting Troy to come scrimmage with them in their fancy college gym. Meanwhile, Sharpay 
walks in too. I guess it's just like, yeah, no more golfing for me. Walks in with a tie, like a light blue tie, talking about skin tones and stuff. And now we cut right to, so Troy's eating lunch with these college basketball players and Mr. Evans. And he's talking to them about golf. He's like, how can you hit the ball straight if your clubs don't trust you? So it's all on the grip. You got to hold it just right. What? This is just chaotic, nonsensical golf talk. That's meant to sound like, oh yeah, Troy, oh, he's talking about, you know, hold all in the grip, all these sports talks. Very similar vibes to Get Your Head in the Game, where it's like, put in every basketball term that you know in a random order, it'll sound so great. Like, this is kind of the golf equivalent of that, to just be like, how, your club's got to trust you. And Chad and Jason come in with their orders, because I guess they're the only waiters at this place. Troy says when he sees Chad, like, hey, I almost forgot. And Chad's expecting that Troy's about to introduce Chad to these Red Hawks. But instead he says, I want Swiss on my burger. So I actually, I thought for a long time, like, Troy, you've barely, you haven't, you didn't look at your hamburger at all. So how are you supposed to know that they missed the Swiss? But I think it's actually what's happening is Troy forgot to order Swiss on his burger. So as soon as it comes, he knows there's no Swiss on it. So right away he's like, oh, can you bring it back with some Swiss on it, please? And here's, here's, what bugs me, what really bugged me about the impact that Troy and his dad's talk by the car had. Because this is where we can see him taking it to heart. Thinking like, I've got to get ahead of my friends. I've earned this attention from these Red Hawks. Chad, Jason, Zeke, they didn't earn that attention. So I'm not about to go and hand it to them. Of being like, yeah, I'm not introducing Chad to the Red Hawks. I'm just going to boss him around. Like my, like my server, which he is. And Chad storms to the kitchen, tells Taylor and Gabrielle that Troy's all wonky while this sad clarinet music plays. Cut over to Sharpay and Ryan and Kelsey. They're in their the little music spot, I guess. Sharpay says, Kelsey, that new duet that Troy and Gabrielle are saying, I want it. And Kelsey says, oh no, it's not available. Sharpay says, you're an employee, not a fairy godmother. Now give it. And this is why she wanted Kelsey hired. You'll, you might remember at the beginning of the movie when Sharpay says, oh, Kelsey, I know you want a job and our rehearsal pianist moved away so you can have this job. And a lot of people are thinking like, wow, why is Sharpay being so nice to Kelsey? She's not being nice to Kelsey. She wants to be Kelsey's boss and boss her around and get revenge on her for foiling their sabotage plan for movie one. And here we see exactly what it is that Kelsey has to obey Sharpay. That's why Sharpay wanted to get Kelsey the job. And Sharpay tells Kelsey, Troy and I will be doing this in the talent show. And Ryan's like, what? What about Huma Humu? And Sharpay basically says, yeah, uh, I don't care about you anymore. Not in those words, but that's basically what she means. Like, I don't know. Maybe you can figure out something to do in this show or not. But keep an eye on those wildcats. I don't want any surprises. And this is where it's finally, it's done. It's done that Ryan is, is done being Sharpay's sidekick. And it was kind of by his own doing, kind of not. Sharpay really kind of pushed him as far as he possibly could push him. Because, like, what was Ryan supposed to do? Like, stick around and just not perform at all and just do nothing? Like, like how are we still supposed to be teammates in this situation? So now we, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of really short scenes in this kind of, like, middle part of the movie, sort of. Because that was, like, under a minute long, I think. And now we cut to another pretty short scene where Troy is playing basketball at the hoop out back. That's where he's playing. And he's wearing this Red Hawks jacket. He's just taking clothes from everyone now, isn't he? And Gabriella comes out and she's like, oh, a nice jacket. And he's like, yeah, it was a gift from the guys. And I think we're supposed to pick up a little bit on how now Troy's referring to the college athletes as the guys instead of Zeke, Chad, and Jason. 
and Troy tells her, like, I'm going to Red Hawks practice soon. When I come back, we'll go to a movie. I promise. And Gabrielle's like, time for some deep talk. You know, promise is a really big word, Troy. You promised you'd play in the staff baseball game today? He promised and he forgot because he got the dates mixed up, is what he says. But he promised and he forgot because just playing in a staff game, ew, that's so above him now, right? And he's sorry, but he couldn't make lunch today because remember, he said, oh yeah, 1.30 lunch break, I'll see you there. And he forgot because he was eating lunch with the college basketball players, talking to them about how your clubs have to trust you and stuff. But Troy's like, sorry that he's so caught up in how great everything is. Gabrielle, you know, she's finally starting to catch on. She's finally starting to see what's really going on here. Golf shoes, new clothes, golf carts. Doesn't seem like new stuff. Seems like a new Troy. <gasps> Chad, Zeke, and Jason come out to play some two-on-two with Troy. Just as the Red Hawks pull up. Now Troy's got this decision to make. Oh, do I play with my old bros, some two-on-two, or do I go scrimmage with the college guys to get my fancy scholarship? And it's not even a hard choice for him. Not even a hard choice for him. Even when Zeke says, oh, tell them to come play with us. We can hang with them. Or there's also the option to invite Chad, Zeke, and Jason to come to the gym with the Red Hawks and they can all play together. But Troy doesn't even ask them, the the Red Hawks. He just says, oh, sorry, guys, closed practice. And Troy abandons them. Even though he said he'd play two-on-two with them. Because now the fancy-dancy Red Hawks are here instead. And he's thinking, I was the one that was offered this. I was the one that was offered these advances. I simply must leave my friends in the dust because in this capitalist world, everything is a competition and I can't even help my friends out. Come back to Ryan, who's all sad now after his sister abandoned him, being all sad when Taylor and Gabriella pull up in a golf cart, telling him to come to the staff baseball game with them, even though he isn't staff. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that so interesting that Troy gets to play golf and gets membership privileges? even though he's technically staff. And now Ryan gets to join the staff of the staff baseball game, even though he isn't staff, even though he's part of the upper class. Troy and Ryan are kind of switching places here. I like to interpret, do you want to come to the baseball game with us? As I interpret baseball game as efforts to overthrow the bourgeoisie. Do you want to join our efforts to overthrow the bourgeoisie? And Ryan's like, oh, I can't do that. My family owns this country club. Gabriella says, everyone's invited. Come on, Ryan. And they pull up to the baseball game, right? Pull up to the baseball game in their golf cart. And Chad says, did Mr. Fulton send you here to spy on us? And Ryan says, no, my sister did. Which is extremely important, that little line of now. Because Chad and most of these workers are still misplacing their frustration with work on their boss instead of the owner of the company, which is the Evans family. But Ryan says, she thinks you guys are going to upstage her at her talent show. Why is Sharpay so concerned? About if the Wildcats are going to be performing in the talent show? Is a question I've asked myself. Like, who cares? Like, Mr. Fulton's going to give you the Star Dazzle Award no matter what. And that's if you care at all about the Star Dazzle Award. Who cares? It's just a, a little star trophy. Who cares about it? Why is it such a big deal that you can't happen? To, you can't sing with Troy and also everyone else can't just have their own performance? Why is that such a big deal? And my answer is... She's just power, she's just crazy. She just wants to suppress them in any way she can. And if she can stop them from performing at the talent show, that's just one more way that she can kind of choke the life out of them a little bit more. Gabriella keeps talking about how they should do the show with Chad, and then we're like, oh, nah, we can't put a show together. Zeke says something like how they were going to do the show, but as soon as Troy bailed, they decided not to. And now the problem 
is that we don't know how to put a show together. I think it's Jason who says that. First of all, did Troy know how to put a show together? And now that he's gone, uh, you can't? I'm pretty sure Kelsey could put a show together, by the way. And she's still on your side. She hasn't left. So I don't think, I don't know how that line really makes a difference. But anyway, Gabrielle's like, we can have Ryan run our show for us because he's a great choreographer and he knows all about stage and stuff. So please, Ryan, help us out. And if the act of performing on stage at the Midsummer Night's Talent Show is the revolutionary act of the workers being in control, then Ryan's abilities to, quote-unquote, put a show together is really just his access to money and resources. And Chad says, if you want to play ball, then grab a mitt, but I don't dance. You don't think dancing takes some game? It's time for the gay scene, everyone. It's time for the gay scene. If this came out in 2020, it would be terrible excuse for a queer representation. Disney has received plenty of flack for the way that they imply Elsa is lesbian without actually revealing it. It's kind of treating queer representation like a fun little game. And I definitely criticize them for that. But it's important to remember that in 2007, gay marriage was legal basically nowhere in the United States. Even though Kenny Ortega asked for Ryan to be openly queer, Disney didn't let it happen. They were never going to let it happen. This was the best they could do. This was the best they could do if they wanted to have their movie air at all. You know, even if Disney had had never done I Don't Dance, the fans would still be rumbling about, oh, Ryan's gay, Ryan's gay. If there were no I Don't Dance, I wouldn't personally be so eager to jump to conclusions about Ryan's sexuality. Because without this song, all we have to go off of are stereotypes. We know that Ryan liked theater, and sometimes he wears pink and other flamboyant clothes. And for some people, that was enough to pronounce him gay immediately. That kind of pisses me off, to be honest. Many people continue to correlate traditionally feminine behavior for a man to homosexuality, when really liking men is not a feminine thing to do. Straight guys can wear flashy colors and sing and dance and be in plays and still be straight. And what's really harmful is assuming they're gay because they like those activities. Like this entire this entire series of movies is based on a straight guy who's afraid of judgment for wanting to audition for a musical. This is toxic masculinity. As I'm sure you know, Ryan asks Kelsey to prom in Musical 3, which most people have agreed was only to calm the nerves of conservative parents who were afraid Ryan and Kelsey were both gay. So this is the gay scene. I didn't know it was the gay scene when I was five, six years old. It was the novelty of a duet between Chad and Ryan, two characters who barely interact throughout the trilogy, and the fact that it took place on a baseball field that made me so enamored by it at an early age. I don't dance. That and the fact that like just before the song starts, Ryan says, hey, pitcher, ball, and all of a sudden Ryan gets to be the pitcher. Now that that's out of the way, that beginning stuff. Let's take a look at my, my table of innuendos, shall we? I have a list. I have 18 innuendos on my list. Most obvious thing, number one. Baseball is always a metaphor for sex. First base, second base, and such. Even Major League Baseball is all about sex. Don't let them tell you otherwise. Number two. Before the song starts, Chad and Ryan jack off a baseball bat together. This is an activity that's done quite often to, to decide who the home team is in the baseball game. This is generally just for like little kids playing pickup, obviously not in higher levels or more organized levels, where they some where they grab the bat and go like, you know, hands up like it, 
but it does certainly bring some images to mind. Number three, hey batter batter, hey batter batter swing, equals hey guy with a penis, let's have sex. Number four, I've got to just do my thing, equals I'm too straight to have sex with a man. Number five, baseball dancing same game, equals sex with a man is not different from sex with a woman. Number six, you'll never know if you never try. I don't think I have to explain that one. Number seven, at the start of the first chorus, Ryan, who's pitching, throws an extremely inside pitch that if Chad hadn't jumped out of the way, would have hit him. Ryan would have hit Chad with his ball. Number eight, if I can do this, well, you can do that. Yes, it's, it's that ambiguous on purpose. And watch Ryan's dance moves here. When Ryan says this, he's sticking out his ass. And when he says that, he's opening his legs. There's too much here for it not to all be intentional. Number nine, Chad is safe at first base because he's starting to have his mind changed. Number 10, Chad is blowing a bubble with his gum. This is also probably the, the coolest section of the song in terms of the, the actual music. Two-step and now you're up to bat. I, I really like the sudden switch to this kind of more jazzy, showy style, especially in the drums. Anyway, number 11. Lean back, tuck it in, take a chance. I can guarantee you this has nothing to do with baseball or dancing. This is about dicks. Number 12, you're talking a lot. Show me what you got. And this is where Chad decides he's down. And this is also exactly the same spot where Ryan hits a home run. Not a coincidence. Big, sexy instrumental. Swing it like this. Jitterbug, just like that. That's what I mean. All that stuff. Number 13, at the end of the long dance note. As the two lovebirds find themselves inches away from each other's faces. Number 14. Next thing you know, Ryan's team has bats, the releaser of balls. And Chad's team has gloves, the catcher of balls, and perhaps the ball's contents. Number 15. Ryan puts his bat, dick, down and then picks up some sand and blows it in Chad's direction. Number 16. Everybody swing! In case you didn't know already, Chad and Ryan might not be the only ones here. Number 17, and the worst attempt for a tag at home of all time, Ryan just lies down on top of Chad. And that's how the game ends, and Chad's team wins. Number 18, even though it's not really part of the scene, Chad tells Troy near the end of the movie, which I guess I'll get to later, you've got to see this dude play baseball. And Troy, after a second of reflection, says, I'm looking forward to it. So I think it's very fair to say that this is the most unique song in the High School Musical catalog for a, a number of reasons, including not only the fact that Chad and Ryan are singing together, which they didn't even talk to each other in the first movie, and that it's on a baseball field, and the, the, the melding of the two styles of music that both characters are already established to like. Chad's, you know, hip-hop style, with a lot of like metallic percussion going on, boom, boom, stuck, uh, that kind of thing, and Ryan's more show tuney type of thing, where you have like the hand claps and the rapping section, kind of going up against the like hi hat, trumpet, type of swing stuff, and Chad says, "Hey Evans, I'm not saying I'm gonna dance in the show, but if I did, what would you have me do?" And Ryan just kind of kind of walks away, smiles. Chad's team celebrates, and for a brief moment, we see a High School Musical 2 crew person. We see their feet in the shot. 
holding a camera for a brief moment before we flash away to the silence and dry, open, unfriendly sound of the U of A gym with Troy and the college kids playing basketball. No music, just a bunch of shoe squeaks and dribbles and old men talking about giving it 110%, 24-7, that you can count on. That's Mr. Bolton, of course, who's sitting next to Mr. Evans, just clapping his hands saying, Troy, Troy. By the way, if that list of 18 innuendos of Ryan and Chad didn't wasn't enough for you, they've also swapped clothes for the next scene, and they're eating hot dogs when Ryan reveals he was a Little League World Series champion for Newport, Rhode Island, which, Ryan and Sharpay are from Rhode Island? Is not something that ever comes up again. Very strange, very strange. But also, this causes, uh, you know, this teasing stuff causes Chad to hit Ryan in the head and, and grab a baseball out of his hand. Meanwhile, Troy's trying to call Gabriella, but she's having such a great time with Taylor and Chad and Ryan that she misses the call. Now it's the next day, I think. Gabriella's kind of, you know, cleaning out the pool with that net thing. And Ryan walks by wearing East High colors now next to the pool. His red and white. Since he's transitioned from complicity in the exploitation of his classmates to using his power to advance their cause, he's now joined their side. And he's chatting with Gabriella like, how do you do that swing step you did last night? Is what Gabriella said. And Ryan and Gabriella start dancing right when Troy walks by. And we actually, we have some, some, some realistic small talk. Where Ryan's like, oh, my dad says you're doing great with the college guys. And Troy says, playing with them is like being in another world. Damn right, yeah. You basically teleported to the world of evil. And of course, there's the, oh, her mom makes the beat, the best brownies. Yeah, I've had the brownies. And Ryan walks off. Troy and Gabrielle are standing there for a few seconds, trying to decide what to say to each other, but they don't say anything. It's very sad. Troy walks away into the kitchen, where he finds Zeke, who says, We got Vince for maintenance to play. In case you were wondering, Troy wasn't wondering, because guess what? He barely cares about his friends anymore. Now, Chad and Troy fight. They fight. And if this were not a decom, punches would have been thrown. Troy keeps talking about how, Oh, I didn't ask for special treatment. It's, it's, he's been, it's been offered to him. And he shouldn't be faulted for saying yes, and that he still shows up to work, just like Chad. And Chad yells about how, if you, you had a speck of dirt in your pants and someone dry cleans it for you. Basically saying, it's intellectually dishonest of Troy to ignore the differences in how the two of them are being treated, and how just the fact that they both go to work doesn't mean their situations are perfectly comparable. One thing I love here is, even for a kid audience... It's unclear which side we should be on. Even for someone who watches a movie and can be very, very easily manipulated into being like, oh yeah, I like the main character. Oh, I'm rooting for them, rooting for not them, rooting for him, rooting for her. Whatever the movie tells, the movie doesn't really tell you who we should be, who we should be cheering for. Troy says, I don't answer to you. Chad says, maybe you start answering to yourself. I find Corbin Blue does angry really well. A lot of times... It's overacted on the Disney Channel or underacted or or actors will have this specific thing where it's like, oh, you got to be angry. I'll just kind of furrow my eyebrows a bit. But Corbin Blue really explodes. You get a speck of dirt in your pants. And it's pretty convincing, I find. Mr. Fulton comes in, says, you're here to work, not play Dr. Phil. Brilliant line. Now it's time for Troy and Sharpay to rehearse. For the, for the Midsummer Night's talent show. Because remember, Troy promised that he would sing with her at the talent show. Of course he did. Of course he did. 
and Sharpay drags him on stage. And it's time for the, not the reprise of You Are the Music and Me, but the Sharpay version. And I really like that distinction because this is not a reprise. This is a totally different song. It's not just a different key. It's a different song, different rhythms, different melody, different form. It is not the same at all, which is great. Now, here's the thing um, that I will touch on probably more in Musical 3. Sharpay is not a good stage performer because she isn't working with Troy. She's walking around in her own world, ignoring the fact that Troy's not into it, and he prefers a much more subdued performance. I gotta say, alright, I know people will compare the two what I've been looking for as long. Like, this one's better, that one's better. You don't see as much of that with your other music in me, even though I do prefer the other version. But I just, I don't see the need or appeal to compare these two versions of You Are The Music and Me because they're just so dissimilar. This this version is rock and roll. The the backup vocals by Emma Jackie East of Me are definitely a highlight. There are lots of, of lots of big differences between the first and second versions of this song, but one I really like, one small one that I want to point out is in the first one, uh, in the chorus where they go, You are the music in me. The word me lands on the end of the fourth beat. And for those of you who are in versus music theory, here's what that means. So you're counting like one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four. You are the music in me. Me falls on the and. And in this one, the Sharpay version, it's on the one. When I hear my favorite song, I know we belong because you are the music in me. It lands on the one, right on the beat. Neither is better or worse. That small differentiation is really great. And obviously that's not at all the only example of that. And similarly to Humuhumu, they put all these props together, these fireworks in the mouth, just for the sake of it. There's this instrumental section with like this arm dancing, like 1950 style kind of. And Sharpay kind of, you know, puts in a lot of effort to nudge Troy's shirt up a bit so that we can see Zac Efron's belly button for half a second. And this instrumental section also, I love the backup vocals here too, where they're going, harmony to melody, echoing inside my head. Zach also, while he's singing his parts, sounds great, while also sounding really bad, and sounding really unprepared. And it's very impressive. that he's like, ah, you're my favorite song, I know we belong, and look and sound unprepared, but still sound pretty good. And of course, you have this, you know, big, theatery, showy, grand finale. Me, 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 na, na, na. And then slow down, you know. You are the music in. And all of a sudden, we're in, like, waltz time now. Me, yeah. Right, you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, the song's done. Troy envisions Sharpay in a wedding dress. Some sort of, this, like, discomfort with commitment. I think like, oh, I've kind of let Sharpay push me around a little bit and kind of, you know, I've let this family lead my life for the past little while. I've let them decide. I said, remember, Troy said at that picnic near the beginning with Gabriella, he said, I always liked the idea of being in charge of my own future until it actually started happening. And now that he's letting the Evans family take over for him, he's realizing, uh-oh, I might end up being forced into marrying Sharpay, which is not obviously an exaggeration, but it's a great symbol of like, He's losing control over what he's doing, and he's making these promises that he doesn't want to keep or can't keep. So now we cut to 
similarly to what we had in the first movie, Troy's in a bad headspace, which means that he can't hit the basketball shots. And he's just, you know, playing there on the basketball court, shirtless, of course, missing all the shots. And he hears a sound from a rehearsal room that's, I don't know how he hears it, because he has to walk quite a distance to get there. But he goes to check it out. And Ryan and the Wildcats are dancing around to the instrumental track of Every Day, which we don't know is Every Day at this point. And Troy, you know, reminiscent of Musical 1, once again, kind of like hides behind a wall a little bit to hide from Sharpay, who walks in to yell at Ryan right when everyone leaves for the end of rehearsal. And I think, I don't know if this is like the first rehearsal that they're all having together, I don't know. But Ryan and Chad are like high-fiving and pointing, and Ryan hugs Gabriella, and it's getting along great with all of them. They're having such a good time. Sharpay comes in, says, I told you to keep an eye on them, not turn them into the cast of Greece." She says, when did you become one of them? And Ryan says, I'll take that as a compliment. Isn't that so nice? How happy Ryan is now that he's embraced the proletariat and joining them and using his talents and resources to amplify them and prop them up instead of just being stuck at some fancy table in a dining room at a country club with his family. And Sharpay is so frustrated and so sad. She says, give me a beat. And she walks out of the room and her clothes are different in the next moment, which had to have been on purpose. I don't know how it could have possibly been an accident that the clothes are immediately totally different. And she's now in Mr. Fulton's office, holding Boy in her arm. And she tells him to ban all employees from performing. Mr. Fulton, though, unlike before, he really pushes back. He's talking about, oh, but your brother, all our tradition, please think it out. But she doesn't budge because she's evil. She doesn't budge. She says, now do it. Ban them. So the next day, I think. Mr. Fulton stops Taylor in the golf cart. Taylor's just driving down in the golf cart, you know, driving around. And Mr. Fulton stands in front of her, holds his hand out, stop. And he says, please hand these out at the end of shift. And Taylor gets mad at him right away. Mr. Fulton, how could you do this? And Mr. Fulton, of course, he didn't do it. He didn't want to do it. And he says something that really, I think, is the big step to making Taylor and then everyone else realize that Mr. Fulton's not the one making our lives miserable. Mr. Fulton isn't the reason that we need to have jobs, that our labor value is being stolen. And it's when he says this, the best part of the movie, and maybe the best line in the entire High School Musical trilogy, which is actually a little bit longer than a line. No discussion, Miss McKessie. This is a business. Welcome to the world of adults who wish to keep their jobs because they have mortgages they wish to pay, tuition bills, car payments, etc., etc., etc. So sometimes we have to perform tasks, however unpleasant, that are necessary for that all-too-important paycheck to land in our all-too-empty pockets. And he's very flustered. Taylor says, Can I get you some tea? And he says, Chamomile would be lovely. This is the moment that makes her realize that Fulton is on her side, that they're both proletariat, that they're both getting their labor stolen. And Taylor passes them out at nighttime, when all the workers are chilling out, having fun, beatboxing in the kitchen, Martha dancing, go Martha, go Martha, and Taylor gets their attention and tells them what the, the notice says, junior staffers will have to work on show night so they can't perform. And that is when they all realize Mr. Fulton's not the one who's causing them so much misery, it's Sharpay, it's the girl from the oligarch family. This is the, the progress in their understanding of the framework that they're living in, in their work relations that I was talking about 
and work this out. They didn't quite understand. They were like, oh no, our boss is the worst. Our boss is the worst. But we gotta suck it up and wait for payday. And now is when they realize, yeah, Mr. Fulton was never the problem. And Gabriella storms out. Walks straight to Sharpay. I don't know how she knows right where Sharpay is, but she knows. And Sharpay is with Emma Jacquelia east of me. And they're just laughing. Ha ha ha, having a great time. Ha 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 ha. Gabriella says, Sharpay! And all of a sudden, they all just shut up. Gabriel has never been this mad before. She says something about like damage behind the mirrors or something. It's it's pretty intense. And uh, man, I wish so badly we could have cut out Humahumu and made a song here that's a Gabriella Sharpay duet where they're just going back and forth and feuding and hating each other. I wish we had a Gabriella Sharpay duet at some point in this movie, any point in this movie. This would have been the spot for it. They hate each other so much, and they never got a song. It should have been here. And Sharpay says something about how, you just hate the fact that I won. And Gabriella says something about, what's the prize? Because obviously she, just like the audience, doesn't really understand her intentions. Except, oh, I just want to, you know, I just want to play around with all you underlings and make your lives terrible. Just because you work for me. That's literally the only reason. I, want, I just want to flex. And Troy sees what's going on, and Troy runs over to Gabriella right as Sharpay's gone. And he's like, oh, what's up? Troy being like, oh, I'm still me. I haven't changed. And Gabriella's like, well, guess what? Uh, you missed days and blown off your friends and you can't keep promises. So if that's you, it's good to know. That was the moment. I think like, oh man, I think she's about to break up with him through a song. And she did. And she nailed it. I gotta say what's on my mind. Something about us doesn't seem right these days. This is how breakups start. Life keeps getting in the way. Another staple of breaking up oh life keeps getting in the way literally if you're having a hard time figuring out how to break up with a partner just read the song out loud to them it works even better if they've never heard the song before so hard to say but i gotta do what's best for me you'll be okay that's the entire verse basically how do they take all the worst cliches of breakups and jam them all together in one verse without making it completely unbearable to listen to one of the what's one of the greatest mysteries that science still can't answer. And at the end of the chorus, she says, I gotta go my own way. And she lets go of his hand and walks away. And now we know. Well, well we already knew, but like now we know. One of the strangest phenomenons, I think, to emerge from the high school musical fandom is the, the niche demographic who claimed that this is by far the best song from the series, and that no song comes close to topping it. Like that group of fans exists, and they like to let you know. They certainly do. This song comes, oh, it's the best one. It's the be Don't even talk to me. Oh, nothing come clo comes close. I won't, I won't talk about it. Gotta go my own way. It's the best one. It's the best one. It's a mindset I don't and will never understand. But they're there. And if I, if, I bet if I even say, gotta go my own way, probably wouldn't crack my top 10 high school musical songs. Someone might come after me. You know, if you know somebody who is one of these gotta-go-my-own-way people, please don't show this to them because they might try to harm me in some way. Anyway, though, the lyrics in this song are up and down. It's definitely a hundred times better than when there was me and you. You know, it might just be my nostalgia showing, but like so many of the lyrics in these movies are better than you would expect. It might have something to do with the fact that, that writing songs for a musical is generally easier because the lyrics are meant to have an obvious purpose. But the high school musical songwriters still deserve like tons of praise. Like, and how the color turns to gray, and it starts too hard to watch it all slowly fade away. I assume nobody has ever written a literary essay 
about any of the songs from High School Musical, but I I unironically wonder why and simultaneously nominate this one to be the first. Personally, I think Gabriella can tell that if she doesn't break up with Troy immediately, their relationship is going to fade until its demise, and she doesn't want to wait for another color to turn to gray and watch it all slowly fade away. Right. Next comes my favorite moment in the song, where she says, I'm leaving today. I'm a big fan of pivotal lyrics, which this is, sung in a nonchalant way. And this one connects. The tone of the melody, da-da-da-da-da, is, this isn't the climax yet, it's kind of just dropping down, like pre-chorus style. But the lyrics is, I'm leaving today. It's like, very decisively, this is the end of our relationship. And Vanessa nails the vocals. She's brilliant all the way around. Her voice is double-tracked in the chorus. And I I might be wrong, but I don't think High School Musical does that much double-tracking, at least in the first two movies. And doing it in this song, though, was absolutely the right call. But it really shines through on this song, especially on, like, uh, Who I Am. Right, I've got to move on and be who I am. That's where the double-tracking sounds the best, I think. You know, this song is kind of a duet, but not really. In fact, in fact, there are arguably no Troy Gabriella duets in the entire second movie. You Are the Music and Me, Kelsey sings the beginning of that, so you could argue that there's no, that's not a duet, and also lots of others join at the end. Kind of the same thing with Every Day, where all the employees join in for the grand finale, so it's not just a duet. And for me, Gotta Go My Own Way does not qualify as a duet at all, because it's a Gabriella feature for almost the whole thing, and Troy's interjections in the bridge are, are uncalled for. They're uncalled for. I could have definitely done without them. And frankly, that, that might have been the point, actually. Because Gabrielle, she's obviously made up her mind. And this loser, Troy, I'm not calling Troy a loser, but he kind of, he's acting a lot like a loser in this song, where he comes running pathetically to Gabriella, to the bridge. Actually, this is at the bridge of the song, and also they're standing on a bridge to say, what about everything we've been through? What am I supposed to do? This desperate little guy. Almost feel bad for him, but Gabriella stands her ground. What a star. Then Troy's trampling all over her in the final chorus, too, where she's just trying to sing her chorus, and he's like, why do you have to go? I'm trying to understand. Damn, Troy. Take a sec. You're embarrassing yourself. Let Gabriella have a moment. She barely gets any the entire movie. And here you are with a heartfelt, I want you to stay. Thanks for your input. I couldn't tell that, that you really wanted her to stay. Wow. I'm sure that'll definitely change her mind. And then she gives him the, the tea necklace. If that weren't enough for you. But get like this. Okay, okay. The next scene, Troy's lying on his bed, all right, all sad, tossing a basketball around, right? Dad comes in, tries to cheer him up. Troy gets all serious. Like, do I seem different to you this summer? Dad doesn't cast a drift. Like, but Troy sits up, and he's all concerned. And he says, this is what he says, he says, I've been so focused on my future. Gabriella quit. Chad won't talk to me. Wait. Hold up a sec. Rewind. Gabriella quit. Quit. That's what you're mad. That's what you're sad about. That's what you're sad about, Troy. She left the job. Troy doesn't realize Gabriella broke up with him. Going her own way. Giving back the necklace. It's so obvious what's going on here. But Troy doesn't pick up on subtext or social cues of any kind. He really thinks Gabriella and him are still together. Holy fuck. What a moron. He actually doesn't realize that he was broken up with. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And we'll pick up there next week on Disney Channel Discourse as I continue marching through High School Musical 2. 
I expect to finish the movie next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Disney Channel Discourse. You can follow my podcast on Instagram at Disney Channel Discourse, and you can send a message to Disney Channel Discourse if you have anything you'd like to say to me. Thank you.